works. Whatever. It's all, it is. it's all about avoiding the shit show. That's that's the name of the game when you're in the podcast business. There you go. <laughs> so, all right. Well, we, if you if, if you watch the, if you listen to this show every week, you uh, you know it pretty much is a shit show a lot of the yeah, time. We have we have our moments. There you go. So, all right. And on that note, uh, we will start back up again this week. Welcome back, everybody, to the South End Zone podcast. I'm your host, Eric Mulher, uh, tonight, and I'm here with Jason Bailey and another special guest that we will introduce in a minute. But uh, first off, Jason, how's it going? Oh, man, it's going. Getting ready to head back uh, up north to the cold, man. I know I'm not, I know you know I'm not excited about that. So uh, well, hopefully, only there for the weekend before I head across the pond over to the other side next week, man. So. Super well, that, that trip across this pond sounds like it'll be more fun than your trip up to a, uh, a, a train derailment. But Yeah, not fun. No. This week, uh, we've got a special guest. Uh, he is the head football coach at Glenn Academy in Brunswick, Georgia. And uh, Coach Rocky Hidalgo, how are you doing today? I'm, uh, man, I'm good. Just came back from a big uh, baseball baseball game, a uh, local brawl going on between the two hometown teams here. and Got eaten up with gnats, and I smell like citronella oil trying to keep those things off of me. But other than that, I'm ready to rock and roll. It, it's March in Georgia. Uh, everyone smells like that, I think. Um, That's exactly right. All right. So, Coach, uh, we'll jump right into it for any listeners who don't know you, and some will because a big chunk of our listenership is in Georgia, specifically the metro area. But uh, you are at Glenn Academy, which competes at the 6A level in Georgia high school football. I have here in my notes eight years, but I don't remember if that is you have been there for eight years or you're going into year eight. Yeah, next year is my 10th year at Glenn Academy. So I'm just way off. Yeah, close enough. Samsonite. Yeah, Yeah. almost there. Um, And then prior to that, you were at Walton High School, which is in uh, Kennesaw or Marietta, somewhere in the north. Marietta. Marietta. Yep. Okay. So still mm-hmm. Cobb County, uh, mm-hmm. shout out to the big boss, man. You were there head coach as six years and seven as an assistant. Uh, I was there for six years. I was a head coach for five there. I was the defensive coordinator for eight and, uh, the offensive line coach, defensive line coach, position coach there for five. Okay. So then were you there with uh, coach Dudley? I was there with Coach Dudley. Okay, yes. so that's another name our Georgia listeners would probably be familiar with because he's been a lot of different places and he's been yep. successful at all of them pretty much. Yep. Um, good man, good hell of a football coach. So you're originally from Louisiana. That is correct. Yep. Okay, and then you played uh, you played college ball at a kind of a what is this uh, Rhodes College in Memphis, Tennessee, which is what Division two II or three, I think. Division three. Yep. Yeah. It's a little little small academic school. I was I was the one the the only football coach that that school has ever uh, ever produced. That's actually not true because Ed Dudley went to Rhodes College, and the head football coach when I was there, Mike Clary. So there are three in the in the you know two hundred plus year history of Rhodes College has produced three football coaches. Actually, Daniel Bruner, four. I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm making a liar of myself left and right here. Yeah, so, so it just keeps they, growing. Yeah, that's it. I think they've all coached at Walton High School, though. So yeah, we got that going for us. <laughs> well, the world's a small place. Um, that's right. So you played at Rhodes College, and then did you – so you immediately kind of went right into coaching from there? Yeah, I coached a year at Rhodes, uh, coached the outside linebackers there. And, uh, you know, I had one of those limited earnings positions, which is where they give you a lot of responsibility, but they don't pay you any money. And so, 
uh, you know, I was tired of being hungry and I was, I was an adult still eating in the cafeteria, living in a dorm room because that's what they do. The limited earnings coach, they put you on campus and uh, you're basically a slave there. I, it was a great experience. I learned a lot, but I looked around about November and said, I would like to be able to buy food on my own. So I went out and got a real job. Yeah. Uh, so Jason and I were both in the Navy, so we're familiar with the limited earnings concept. There you um, go. <laughs> but, uh, so at Glenn, I know you've had a couple of guys um, that listeners may be familiar with who've, who've gone on and played at the, the college level. Uh, DJ Dallas is one. He played mm-hmm. at Miami, and he's now with yep. the Seahawks, I believe, still. Yep, that is correct, yeah. And then uh, Jack Podlesny is a, a mm-hmm. Glenn Academy guy, he, the Georgia kicker who is off to the yep. NFL. Done a bunch, um, yeah. Really, really uh, excited for all the success that guy's had. And, and uh, he's, he was one of those guys that was a soccer player. We drug off a soccer team. He dragged and, him out uh, there and go do this. Never thought he never thought much of as a football player uh, until we got him kicking in football, and and the rest is Georgia football history. Yeah. So, between your time at Glenn and your time at Walton, and we we're talking right at twenty years. So I got to assume that the the number of players you've had come through that have gone on to play at the next level, be it you know Division two, FBS, NAIA, JUCO, whatever, is you're probably into the triple digits by now. Uh, yeah. You know, I've had fifteen years as a head football coach, and and you know we've signed. Just about every year at at Glenn, probably uh, probably eight to ten kids. Just about every year, I think there's only been a couple of years we haven't signed that many. Uh, we our, our staff has worked really hard on finding people places to play. But you know, it's it's I've I've been fortunate to coach a lot of great players uh, and a lot of great players who are who are five foot nine and went on to play Division three football. Um, you know, there's a place for everybody out there if you're good enough to play the game. Yeah, and. Since you mentioned your staff finding places for players to play, this kind of leads into my first question I want to talk about is because I think a lot of college football fans maybe don't understand the high school coach's role uh, in kind of the recruiting process, uh, particularly for the non you know, blue chippers, right? The guys who are yeah. going to go play division two. Um, every recruit obviously is different. And, but there's some guys that they just, they honestly just don't need your help finding a place because they're a four star right. offensive tackle and that, that's going to take care of itself. But yep. um, just, can you kind of give us a brief rundown, a couple minutes of kind of what, how that process works from your end? Well, you know, first off, one of the misnomers that people have, but believe, you know, parents especially, or that parent that that your high school football coach controls scholarships. We have, we don't. I don't have like a, a folder with all these college scholarships in my in my drawer. That's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is, regardless how much heart your your you know a kid has, or how much he wants to play at the University of Georgia, or you know the University of Alabama, the University of Florida, uh, the University of Alabama coaches don't really care about that. The Georgia coaches don't care about that. Um, so I don't, I can't control if he's not, he doesn't fit the mold to play in those places. I tell people when a coach walks in my office, you know, he, he, he envisions like a box that his player fits in. And if he can put you in that box and you fill that box up, you know, that's the first stage, the eye test, that's the first stage of passing the recruiting test. Um, and, and if a kid is, you know, you could be a great high school football and I've coached some great high school football players that were six foot two offensive linemen. And, you know, they're not going to go to the University of Georgia because Georgia, they've got creatures on the offensive line. And so it's, you know, so everybody has to be aware, you know, parents have to be aware of that and understand that in coaches. And I think a lot of coaches don't understand that they think they can sell a kid to a, a, a school like that. And, and those coaches, the coaches at 
Georgia and Alabama and LSU and Florida, they don't give a shit what the high school football coach says until they're ready to recruit that kid. When they're ready to recruit that kid, then they'll listen because they're trying to sort out, you know, those hundred kids at that position. Oh, this kid's a character issue. This kid struggles learning football. That's a way to eliminate a kid because college coaches are looking to eliminate kids. They're not looking who to find. They know they have a list of these kids, you know, so they, they know where these kids are. They're trying to eliminate those kids. Um, so the, the biggest thing when I talk with coaches or when, when with players is understanding where you fit in all these things. I think you can have a reach school when you go in here and, and you're, you know, your, 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 your son is trying to sign a college football scholarship somewhere. You have to, you have to know where you fit in those things. If you're a, if you're a, a running back that runs four, eight, you're not going to go to the UT, UT Chattanooga. That's, that's not going to happen. There those kids that play there are 210 pounds and you know, they're four, six kids playing in the UT Chattanooga and, and Jack state and all those one double A school, former one double A, I still call them one double A schools. I do too. Yeah. So, yeah. So when, when you look at those things and when you talk about recruiting, it's like finding the right mechanic for the right garage. You know, obviously academics help. The better your kid's academic is, the better opportunity they have to go off and play ball. But when you go through here, the big time players, they're going to get sorted out. You know, Alabama, they're going to show up and recruit the kids and Georgia's going to recruit the kids. Where it really comes, the difference is, is how hard college coach or high school coaches work on those Division two, Division three, and NAIA places. Because those coaches don't have the budget to get out to all these schools. We spend a lot of time picking the phone up and calling coaches and go and a lot of this goes back to your your high school football coaches relationship with a lot of these college coaches i signed a kid from south georgia to nebraska because the guy who just took the job at nebraska used to coach in georgia and i had a relation relationship with him a few years ago and so he just signed one of my players to a full full football scholarship um so i think that those are those are all the things that go in this you know a, a lot of it depends on obviously i said academics but also financial need so you know when when some of these Division II schools and NAIA schools, they have to write a check for this kid to go to college. If they're recruiting two kids and one kid uh, qualifies for a bunch of federal aid because he's a low-income kid and another kid doesn't, that kid's going to be a cheaper scholarship for them. And so that those, those economics – play a big part in it when you get into that small college football division two NAIA, you know, division three university of Georgia doesn't care about any of those things. They, they could care less. They, all they care about is the kid good enough to play here. How is, how's his character? Does he work hard? If he is, then we'll recruit him. When you go to a place like Reinhardt, Lenore Ryan, Carson Newman, those, you know, when they start narrowing down a list of football squad, they only have so much money to spend. So a kid that gets a lot of grant aid has a better chance to get in the door because they don't have to give him quite as much football money to, to get him there. Does that make sense? No, it does. Cause at different levels have a lot of fans might not know this different levels have different scholarship limits as well. Right. So you yep. go 85 FBS, uh, low sixties for FCS and down into D two, I think it's maybe in the thirties. 40, 45, I think 45. it's division. And so they can split scholarships where the big boys can't. And so, you know, if I'm a football coach and I can, I have 45 scholarships to sign a hundred kids. Well, if I have this one kid who qualifies for 70% of academic aid, then, then that's a no brainer. I don't have to give him a lot of money that allows me to put a lot of money into another kid. And so those guys are playing, not only recruiting talent, but they're also playing a financial game. They're trying to figure out it's a financial puzzle is what it is. 
how to put the best football team on the field for the best, for the most economical, uh, you know, the most economical means. Yeah. So, so that's one part of it for, for the schools that don't really care because they print their own money, like the Alabamas and Clemson's and Georgia's of the world. When guys from that staff come through your office and want to talk about players, what are they most concerned with? Are they looking like f- certain physical profiles or measurables like, you know, weight numbers or speed or what have you, or is it just kind of case by case? Yeah. Every, everybody's a little different. Obviously, uh, uh, like I said, a kid has to fit the the eye test. That's the first thing. Uh, he has to be the you know in their profile. And if if they if he walks in the door and he looks like the kids in their in their position group, then they're willing to recruit him and they'll look at his film. And you know, and part of it is for me. You know, I have the relationship with these coaches and high school coaches have relationships with college coaches to not waste a coach's time by putting 20 kids in front of him that I know can't play at the University of Georgia. So when Todd Hartley comes to Glenn Academy, I'm going to show him the two, three, four, five kids that have a legitimate shot of being a University of Georgia football player. And sometimes that can be disappointing for other kids. But it's it's one, when they walk in the door, they want to see them. What do they look like? They look like our kids. Okay, let's look at the tape, evaluate them. Once they evaluate them and they go, we think this kid can play here – you know what? Usually, what you get with a lot of those places, they want to get them on campus and they they want to they want to work them out to see how they not just physically what they can do, those measurables, how they move, but also how they react to their style of coaching. That's a big part of it. Why these guys want to get them on campus is just to put their hands on them and see how they react to coaching. And the other side of it, there's a lot of guys they want to know. You know, the University of Georgia is going to call me about my kid and want to find out what type of kid this guy from a character standpoint. What this kid's like is he does he is he a hard worker in the classroom does he love the weight room that's a big point that a lot of these guys want to know does he love to compete that comes up a bunch from from places does this kid love to compete does he does he play other sports that's a big deal because if he just plays football does he love to play football or does he love to compete those guys university of alabama university of georgia those high-end schools they're looking for people who love to compete who want to get on the field and kick your ass because they want to win at every damn thing and that's what makes kirby smart and nick saban the way they go about their business on the football field this it's an attitude that those guys have developed by bringing in a certain type of kid yeah something you touched on a little bit coach that i i kind of want to uh ask you a little bit to elaborate on something you touched on where like how much of the process of recruiting is, is basically you know, these big schools, like we talked about, that print money, like the Alabamas and the Ohio States and people like that, how much of their process of recruiting your kid is you're getting a call from some staffer representative that works for the coaching staff, or most of the time, is it like an assistant coach or the head coach that's calling you if one of your players are being considered? Like, what does that process entail? It depends on the staff um, and it depends on the relationship I have. So, like, my contact with the University of Georgia is usually going to be Todd Hartley. Todd mm-hmm. Hartley's going to pick the phone up and call me and say, hey, man, I like this I like this Greg Peacock guy you have. Um, but other schools who, who may have a new staff or if the coach 
doesn't consistently, they haven't been consistently recruiting your school, they may have a staffer call and and schedule a time that he's going to come in or get your contact and confirm your contact information, pass that off to the coach. Uh, it's Everybody's a little different. The ones who do it best, the best recruiters are personable recruiters. They come in and they've got great relationships with the coaches. They've got great rapport with those coaches. So when they come sit down in my office, they know I'm not going to bullshit them on a kid. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't lie about my kids to coaches. I sell my kids, but I'm not going to lie to them about to, to, to college coaches because I want to come back around the next year and recruit another kid. And, and so that's the big thing I think is each staff's a little different. Um, but I think if, uh, if a high school head football coach has that relationship with a college assistant, usually that guy's going to pick the phone up and call and, you know, and really my cell phone, I've, you know, I've got, contacts for Kirby Smart and Nick Saban and you know Ed Orgeron and Jeremy Pruitt and all these guys who are head coaches a bunch more than that around the country because at some point in time when they've recruited my kids they've reached out to me the guys who are great head coaches are generally going to do that mm-hmm. awesome I'm a big Greg Peacock fan as well for the record I that could help yeah. player. he's a dude he's a dude he can <laughs> do anything throw that in there yeah so um I guess the next thing is can you, we've talked kind of about the process. Um, how has that process changed over the course of your career? Cause you've been a head coach long enough now to where it probably is a completely different animal from when you first started your first year as a head coach at Walton in terms of yeah. how teams go about it and what that, you know, how that sausage gets made. Yeah. Uh, you know, they used to, used to send DVDs in the mail and guys would throw the DVDs away and it came down to them visiting your school and, and watching the film in your school. Now huddle, the internet has changed all that guys can sit in a hotel room and watch pretty much every kid on the planet. These recruiting services are basically doing a lot of the evaluation and staffers are doing the, a lot of evaluation and send it to the position coaches. Um, you know, for the, for the big schools, it hasn't changed a whole bunch. You know, Georgia, Alabama, Florida, Florida State are still essentially recruiting the same way. Where it has changed is the smaller schools. And obviously things like, uh, you know, the transfer portal has has completely altered the landscape of college football. Uh, the, the additional year of eligibility because of COVID has really changed some stuff. And I think that's going to come to head when that year runs out because you're basically going to lose. You're going to be void of a class. A whole class of kids are going to be gone from the dynamic of – from the landscape of college football, you're basically going to lose two classes at one time. The guys that got another year and the guys who are aging out their normal eligibility. So that class of kids, when they come out of high school, there's going to be a ton of opportunities for kids to go off and play college ball, I believe, in that class a lot more. But, man, it's it's a lot of work this day and age to get kids signed, to get kids recruited, because I have a lot of guys. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, offensive linemen, defensive linemen. That's a position a lot of schools, a lot of FCS schools, are just saying we're going to take transfer portal kids. Mm-hmm. Why would I take an 18-year-old high school kid when I could, who I don't know if he's going to like it here, he's going to get homesick, when I can take a 21-year-old kid who went to the University of Tennessee for three years and and is not good enough to play there, and I know he can play at at my school in the Southern Conference or something like that. That right. is that has just totally changed everything that goes on with college recruiting. So yeah, the portal. I mean, obviously that's a big one, and really that's the immediate eligibility, right? Because guys don't have to go to JUCO for a year anymore; they can just go yeah. A to B. So that has. I don't know if hurt is the right word, but it's definitely impacted a lot of high school kids as far as it's hurt. Not, 
it turns. That's what I was going to ask. I mean, do you feel like some of your kids get affected by that where they're not going to be recruited as much because of the transfer portal where or, why or end up you know, maybe like, a level lower? Yeah, why why I, why I go get both. this kid that I might have to develop yeah. versus this kid that transfers from Tennessee who I know he can play here. Yeah. Yeah, I I'll say this. I think you have um it, it, I have had some really good players that that we couldn't find places to play college ball because of the transfer portal in the last three or four years, three years or so, I guess since COVID, since about three years. And and it's just hard. I mean, you, you, and it's hard. It's, it's sad when you look at high school kids who want to go off and play college ball, not because they want to play, because for some of those kids, the opportunity to get an education is, is piggybacked on having a chance for that scholarship money. Um, Yeah. And and I mean, just financially, they just don't have the money to do it. They can't, they can't see how to make it work without that. And luckily uh, we have a very good staff. Like I said, we have an academic coach who goes out and finds these kids something to do after, after they graduate the kids, even if they don't want to play college football, whether it's trade schools, military, or just helping them find places they can afford to go to college. So we've, we've been really, we've worked really, hard to find affordable colleges for our kids that even if they're not playing ball and getting some athletic scholarship money they can they can go over there and further their education um and that's what a lot of guys have had to do i think you've had a lot of really good walk-ons the last few years guys who've decided to walk on and and try to earn a scholarship that way that's kind of what a lot of those smaller d2 naia schools that's their answer for well have them just walk on and earn a scholarship if they're good enough to play here whereas you know five years ago they would have gotten a half scholarship or a quarter scholarship and uh would not have had to come out of pocket to play yeah uh so one last quick question before our ad break here uh when you got kids who are, are deciding between schools what generally and i get that every kid is different and they're going to have different priorities and a uh, different outlook on what they want but what are the biggest factors that these kids are considering when they're trying to figure out where they want to go whether it be you know geographic location or chance to play right away or academics or you know it's kind of a mixed bag but is there one kind of yeah. common theme uh, you know i think the biggest thing is the relationship if the overriding factor that kids as a whole, if I were going to generalize this, that determines where a kid's going to go to school is probably the relationship with the coaches and their coaching staff that they develop. And you, I see it with guys who are really good recruiters. Man, you can just you can just tell they they just kind of have that magic to kind of get close to a kid. And some guys who are great coaches don't. Um, but I say that's probably the number one. And even when kids decide, when they have that rapport with a kid, decide to go somewhere else, maybe a kid's been offered a power five school and this group of five school has been recruiting. It's hard for them to tell those coaches no. And look, that's a big deal because when these kids spend a lot of time on the phone with, when you narrow it down to five or six schools, they're spending a lot of time on the phone, a lot of time messages and these coaches, they get to know them, they get to know their families. And it's hard for these kids to say no. Know to to these guys that they've developed that relationship for with, and especially when a kid's eighteen years old, you're just not used to doing that. You know, they feel like it's they're breaking up with a girlfriend in a lot of ways. So they don't want to pick the phone. I make all my kids when they make a decision, pick the phone up and call the coaches that recruited them and let them know. But I, I'd say that I'd say that relationship, the rapport with the the recruiting coach, is the most important thing. Hmm. All right, so we'll be back on the second half um, after this break with a couple. Uh, less process oriented and more uh, anecdotal maybe, but uh, Jason, take it away. 
Okay, NBA fans, it's time to bring hoops action to the palm of your hand with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in free bets instantly. Plus, for a limited time, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat same-game parlay every day. Just go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app today, opt in, and place the same-game parlay on any NBA game, and if it doesn't hit, you'll get a free bet back. Now, for me personally, I would throw down a little bit of money on Memphis here, minus 10 against Houston. Houston is terrible. That's just my personal opinion. 17 games this year they've won, they're just pitiful. So give me Memphis there, minus the 10. And if I'm going to throw down a parlay for the same game, I'm going to take Ja Morant over 27.5 because I think it'll be a scoring fest for that dude. I, I don't see anybody in Houston's roster that can stop that guy. So that would be my same game parlay that I would throw down here. But for you guys to get in on some of this action now, you got to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with the code TPPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NBA and get $200 in free bets instantly. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA with promo code TPPN. Now, minimum age and eligibility restrictions do apply there. Void in Ohio. See show notes for the details. Welcome back to the South End Zone, uh, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook here on the Pigskin Podcast Network. So we are with Coach Rocky Hidalgo from Glen High School in Georgia. Uh, that's Brunswick, correct, Coach? Is that right? That is correct. Yep. Okay, yeah, that's what I, I thought that was. Yeah, I used to live in uh, Kings Bay there where Eric lives. So, um, you know, both Navy guys used to live down there. So there very familiar with the area. Uh, now, I wanted to ask you a question. <laughs> And this is this is one of those things that we hate on this podcast and we try not to talk about it because it's like this the, the part of the sport that's changed that we don't like. But I wanted to ask you, like from the high school perspective, we all know NIL is a thing now. And we you were just talking about the most important part of a kid getting recruited that you see is the relationship that they build with the coaches and that rapport that that coach has with that kid and the ability to get close to him. So from the high school point of view, I guess how much has NIL started to creep into that realm of it's becoming important as well on top of the relationship? Because, I mean, it's we know that some of these five stars, guys like, you know, whoever, Jordan Addison or name a player, that where they're going depends on what they're getting paid. Guys like Bryce Young, you know, people like that, they're going to make a million, two, three million a year. But for guys who, you know, like you said, you may have to call around or whatever, like how much of the NIL game is creeping into, well, I could go, you know, I could go and make 50 grand at this school versus 20 grand at this school. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, you know, let, let me ask you a question. If your son was mm-hmm. a high level football player mm-hmm. and he could make, you know, $150,000 a year playing football at the high, at the, at the collegiate level, uh, or make another, or make 50 at another school. I mean, as it, as it, this is my thought process. If somebody came in and offered me a hundred thousand dollars more to coach football at another school, I would be crazy not to take it. Wouldn't yeah. I? Yeah. So for somebody to look at a kid and say, well, that's crazy. They're just going to do this for money. But everybody in their job, they leave their job all the time for money. 
Everybody does it. Imagine that guy who's laying sheetrock out there who's a big LSU fan. He's mad because they didn't sign this all-star corner who went to Alabama or went to Florida because he got $50,000 more in, in NIL money. If somebody had walked in and said, hey, man, look, I, you know, I know you're hanging sheetrock, but I want you to come clean toilets. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay you fifty thousand dollars or more a year. He drop, he drop a sheetrock knife right there, run out the door, and grab his plunger and his, in his toilet brush, and everybody would. So I, you know, I think that's a reality that the world we live in. I think if it comes down to the, the, the difference between the, the two schools is minuscule, then it's, you know, it's, if it's a small difference, then you can kind of go back to do that. But people are crazy not to factor in money and people can get upset about that all I want, but this is, we have turned college football into a job. And when I say we, I'm talking about college coaches have turned it into a job. Those kids are in class 15 hours a week and they're 70, 70 hours a week of their time during football season is taken up from the moment they get up, they get up in the morning until they go to bed, they script out their day for, those guys 90% of the day. So it is a job. So I don't have a problem with them packing up and saying, I'm going to go over here and make a hundred thousand dollars to play football. That doesn't bother me at all. Um, And if it's my son and he has a chance to make a quarter of a million dollars at one school versus a hundred at another, I'm going to look at a school and say, son, you may never have a chance again to make, you know, a million dollars in college or, or half a million dollars over the course of four years when you're in school, we'd be foolish not to advise our kids to do that. Do I necessarily like it? No, I think it's, there's an ugly part of the game that's arisen with this. I think it impacts the, it in the biggest schools in the country are playing a high stakes game. You know, the big boys, we all know who they are, you know, Texas A&M, Alabama, Georgia, you know, LSU, Florida, all those places. Auburn is about to become a mid big player in this, you know, there are 20, 25 schools that are really hustling with this stuff. And, and, and they're, they're, they're the ones that are kind of beating down everybody's door and everybody else is playing a different game. And really we talk about, you know, you got division one football, you got FCS uh, power five group of five. Really you've got, you got superpower. That's the, it's the Avenger 20 is what you have. You got, you know, the, the super friends up there, the 20 guys, the superpower guys, and then everybody else is behind them. Um, and that's really what high, college football is. And we can say whatever we want about it, but college football is going to be dominated by 10 teams until NIL changes. And that's the reality of all this. Yeah. So Speaking of NIL, and I was going to wait on this, but since we're talking about NIL, I'll get your take on this because you and I both live in the state of Georgia. Georgia is Mm -hmm. a state that does not currently allow high school players to take on NIL deals. So kind of a three-part question for you. First part, A, do you expect that to change? B, if so, how soon? And C, how, how dumb will things get if and when that happens? Well, yes, I expect it to change. My understanding is that from from what I have been told that it's coming and it's coming pretty soon. I think the GHSA is going to bring that up to vote again in April, maybe as soon as April, maybe sometime in the fall. Um, But I would imagine some point in time in the next 12 months, NIL in Georgia is going to become a reality. For 99% of schools and 99% of high school players, it's not going to be an issue. It's not going to exist because really and truly businesses – you know, are the do they or do they want to play pay the start and tailback at such and such high school? 
uh, you know, $10,000 to do a, a commercial form? Probably not. And that's my understanding with talking with states that have NIL across the country. I've talked to some coaches that have it, and they said for the most part, it might be a hundred bucks here, a couple hundred bucks here. Right. It, do, it doesn't amount to a whole lot. So I, I don't foresee that now. With that being said, and this is the other side, when people talk about this high school player is going to get a $10 million NIL deal. I listened to a guy talk about, he's a sports agent, and he goes, why would somebody pay a high school quarterback $10 million for an NIL deal when you can go get the starting first baseman for the Houston Astros for 50000 bucks to do a, an ad for you, a 30-second commercial on TV, or you can go get the, you know, Tom Brady to do a local ad for you in Tampa for a hundred thousand bucks, literally for 30 minutes of his time, he comes in and does a hundred thousand dollar local ad. Why would you go sign a deal with a high school kid for millions of dollars? And so my understanding from what I have been told from people around the country is those, the stories of those million dollar high school deals are a bunch of bullshit. And there may have been some initially, but for the most part, people are looking around going, there's no, there's no return on this investment to pay a high school kid this amount of money. So that's probably the reality of it. There'll probably be some, uh, some small NIL deals here or there to help, to help a kid maybe, you know, pay some living expenses. I would imagine. I think you're probably going to see some of that, but I don't think it's going to tally into the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Well, and I think a lot of the local businesses that would be doing potentially NIL stuff. They probably already have our sponsors of the school's athletic department anyway, right? They probably already have a billboard on the, at the stadium. Yeah. And then what happens like if, you know, it, it, it runs into a bunch. I'm sure, I'm sure some kids are going to do some commercials and make a couple of hundred bucks here and there. And I don't have a problem with that. You put them on a billboard and, and you, you pay them a hundred dollars to do those things. I just don't see it adding up to untold riches for a 15 year old kid. Yeah. Now, I wanted to get your take on the high school uh, NIL sort of situation, because in, you know, a lot of people who aren't in Georgia may not understand there's trying to figure out how to put this politely. Uh, There's already enough hijinks among a lot of high school football programs in Georgia um, in terms of maybe like, you know, player movement and some some of the creative player acquisition uh, that happens from time to time. So I just. You know, that 1% that you were talking about, I, I feel like we could probably both name the schools. And it's not new. Yeah, um, I can name them. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, it's not a new phenomenon, but it does seem like it's getting yeah. a little You know, prevalent. they're already getting those. They're already getting those kids. I mean, like the cheaters are already cheating. And and I guess I guess maybe they pull more. I, maybe they do. I don't know. I, you know, and there will be people that take advantage of it and they're going to go recruit people's kids. And, and you know, they'll and, I, I, you know, I tweet about this all the time. Guys will go out and they, they some of the worst offenders are this or guys are tweeting Bible verses and going out and recruiting other people's kids. And there are some guys out there that are going to do this and and they're going to get a big alumni to give some guys some cash to move over. That's, that is going to happen. It is definitely going to happen. Um, how much is going to happen? I have no idea. Hoping, hoping it doesn't happen to me. That's the only thing. I hope it doesn't happen to me. Um, and then we just kind of move forward with it and root for the best. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, it's already in my eyes, it's already, you know, a problem and it it's, it's been happening for years. I mean, I know, I know a guy from here in town who, when he was in high school, there's, there was a coach, 
from another school. They went to like some, some camp or seven on seven or something coach from another school, just straight out told him. And, um, yep. and you could probably already have a guess of who I'm talking about. He doesn't coach in the state of Georgia anymore, but you know, he told the kid, yeah. Hey, I can get you, you know, 20, 25 touches a game. I can get you in with these coaches here and there, where you want to go, you know, get, I can get your mom set up with a place. And it's like, they're not even trying, <laughs> they're not even trying to hide it. So I can just, I'm really not looking forward to the money. Yeah, you can't legislate integrity. Uh, you can't, and and so I try to, I try to do things, and and I'm not the only one. Ninety nine percent of high school football coaches are trying to do things the right way, and there are some guys out there that aren't, but most of us are are good men, just trying to show up every day, coach the kids that are in our school building, uh, make them better men, and hopefully win some football games along the way. Uh, so next, um, and this these questions kind of arise on stuff I've seen on Twitter over the years. Um, I've seen not necessarily heated debates, but kind of some back and forth and different opinions on. So from your perspective as a high school coach, this is something I never thought about uh, as like a, something that has the potential to happen, but apparently people feel strongly about this. If you find out that a college has offered one of your kids and you've never talked to them, does that, is that something that bothers you, rubs you the wrong way? Or is it kind of, Hey, that's, that's your business as the college coach. If you, yeah, it, well, it's like this is like, I don't, so I don't consider that, I don't consider that a legitimate offer. And I say this, if a guy, so if this happens a bunch, somebody will see that Alabama offered a kid or Georgia offered a kid. And all of a sudden his DMs, he gets followed by a coach from whatever big 10 school or ACC school or SEC school. And those guys offer him through DM and he posts, Hey, I've got an offer from, you know, such and such university. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. So, I'll, you know, I'll just keep it anonymous, but they've, they've never really talked to the kid. They've never met him. They've never spoken with me. So sometimes guys are just trying to get in the boat like that. It's just an easy way to just, to, to just get in the boat. So when they show up at the school, they can go, man, we offered you seven months ago. We offered you right after Georgia, you know, right after Alabama offered you. It doesn't – it doesn't piss me off, but it is just kind of a, a cheap way of doing things, especially to me if you're going to recruit kids. I'll tell you a funny story. I had this guy, and I won't name names. When I was in Atlanta, I had a, I had this – I had a, a guy who's a great college football – known as a great recruiter, came in. I've known him for years. He comes in and is recruiting our kids – and he's at a big time SEC school, and um, he's recruiting our kids. He asked me about anybody in the in the in the area that's really good, and I tell him, you know, school down the road, it's got a young safety, a sophomore safety, he's going to be a really really good player. He says, really good. What's his name? And I tell him the kid's name. And he picks his phone up and he calls the recruiting office, and he calls me. He says, hey man, I'm at such and such high school. I'm looking at this kid. He's a sophomore. We got to offer him. I need to offer him. He's an unbelievable player. You know, he's going to be number one on our board. He tells him, and he gets, he literally gets him to approve an offer. He's never met the kid. He's never seen him in person. And he drove, got in the car, drove over there and offered the kid. And the kid ended up going to school there. But it was, it's ironic just that we live in uh, the environment we're existing in right now. Uh, the guys want to be being first, being one of the initial ones that was really important. It's really important, and it's important for the kids. So it doesn't bother me so much. I do think it's just kind of a chicken shit way to go about your business, not to reach out and learn something about the kids before you pull the trigger on them. Yeah, it does. I mean, it, listening to you explain it like that, it does seem a little disingenuous. Um, so maybe not personally insulting, but I can see where you're probably kind of roll mm -hmm. your eyes. So, so I know you don't 
put the yeah, pictures I, on. I'll say this. There are a lot of kids who have offers who don't really have offers. Right. They, they because, think they've got because three they, and they've they, really got they, four. Uh, well, I mean, they just go, well, you know, yeah, we got an offer from so-and-so, but uh, I mean, it's, it's, they, they don't really matter. They don't matter until something kind of shows up in writing, it becomes real. And there's a lot of kids with offers that don't really have offers. If that, if that makes sense to you. Yeah. Well, and I've, I've read, um, I, I remember reading one article when Jeremy Pruitt was at Tennessee where they, someone tracked like exactly how many offers they had made and they had like 240 scholarship offers out there. Uh, you know, you can only take 25. Yeah. So, you know, part yeah. of it is some of you know, some have hundreds, hundreds. So is that just, that's like our foot in the door and we're going to kind of start there and winnow yeah. our way down. Cause it, cause if that's the that's case, it. it makes you wonder 100%. what's the point. That's, that's exactly what it is. That, uh, that's, that's a hundred. That's exactly what it is. They, uh, people just, they throw their hat in the ring. They go, we're going to offer him two. The, you know, it, 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 look, it is what it is. I mean, to me, I think, I, I guess a lot of people say if George is offered him, he's good enough to play it whatever school I'm at. And it, it probably is, you know, if I were a college coach, if George offered somebody, I'd probably be like, Hey, let's offer him. Cause he's good enough to play here. If he's good enough to play at Georgia. Yeah. You like know? if you're at Missouri um, or something. Yeah. They don't, they don't miss on a lot. You know, um, they got guys, you know, carrying water at Georgia that can play at 90% of the schools in the country. Um, so that's what it is. They're all afraid of being left behind on a kid and, and, you know, getting in the boat too late with him. That's what it is. Cause if they should, up during the recruiting if they don't offer him in january and they show up in april it may be too late for him they can't get a visit from him because everything's been moved up now because of early signing day mm -hmm. you, you know there was a time the kids took their officials after football see after their senior year they took their officials and made a decision in february well now kids are having to take their officials during the summer, during football season, to make a, dec a decision in December, you know, I've got a kid, David Prince, that, you know, he's gonna he's gonna be a senior this year, and and you know, we got to. I told him the other day, man, we got to get on the ball. He's going to UCF this weekend. Um, you know, we got to get him to Auburn. We got to get him to Virginia Tech, Arkansas. These places who've offered him, uh, Troy, because he's got to see him because he's got to make a decision by December. Yeah, so that's part of it, right? Is if you wait too long to make a decision, there might not be that spot anymore. They might have moved on to someone else, or is that not that common? It, I mean, it is. And a guy's, uh, you know, generally, most of those schools will offer. Alabama may have at a position they they know what they're going they're going to take two tackles they may have three or four guys offered they don't offer 10 or 12 of them you know they kind of get a feel of this guy we're in it for this guy we're going to stay in it we may offer one more guy so there, there's always that that chance that quite you see it happen with quarterbacks a bunch one guy will commit and it's like dominoes boom 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 like five or six quarterbacks will commit because you know a, a guy was deciding on stanford he wanted to, he was thinking about stanford a guy commits to stanford they're not taking another quarterback well before he can commit to ucla uh, another guy's committed so you know i had that happen to a kid I coached a few years ago overnight in, in, in the span of like a day, seven quarterbacks committed and like four or five of the schools that he was considering were off the table. And that happens. Oh, it's a tricky game. So one thing that's gotten kind of big or maybe a little more prevalent in the last handful of years is seven on seven, uh, yep. primarily in the spring and summer. And a lot of people think that is a good evaluation tool. Me personally, I kind of question how much stock a college is going to put into a guy's seven on seven tape. Like wh where do you stand on that? I, you know, if seen? I were, 
if I were evaluating kids on seven on seven, I, I think you can look at a kid and go, and you can use it as a as a piece. I would say it's a very small piece. When you put helmets and shoulder pads on a kid, I've seen kids who were great athletes go up and sky high point balls and all that stuff, but physically didn't want somebody to put their hands on them. Didn't want to put, you know, I have, uh, you know, as a defensive coach, you, I have seen great wide receivers you could get physical with if you if you put your face on them one time down the field that they weren't going to look for the ball anymore. They were going to, they were going to look for that linebacker coming in or that safety coming over the ball. (laughs) Yeah. And so, so I think it's a piece. I think you can do some evaluation off of it. There's no substitute for game tape. I don't care about, you know, measurables. I don't care about any of that stuff. Uh, You know, obviously if the kid is fast enough, he's fast enough, but he has to be, he has to be fast enough. You know, four, six is fast enough. If he's four four, great. If he's four eight, he may not. He's not fast enough. It's just that's the that's and and obviously that's general terms. But there's no substitute for game tape. And you know a lot of the issues we're having with with the recruiting at the high school level is coming from all these you know travel seven on seven teams. They getting on these travel seven on seven teams, and this coach is you know he's allied his with this high school team over here, and that's kind of what you run into a bunch. Yeah, I, I'm air quoting when you say this coach because a lot of these yeah. guys, I don't know the coach is the right word. It's not. I don't know that's the word I would use. It's it, a lot of them seem. I'll just say it, some of them seem like they are not in it for the kids; they're in it for themselves and attach their name to a kid's success. For yeah, I think game. there's, I think there's some of that going on, and some of them are in it for for the kids. There are some of it. Everybody, you know, there's a, there, a you know. There's tons of motivation when you deal with those guys, uh, you know, why people do that. I have seen guys who are really good at it. And then I have seen, I would get kids back from, and I let my kids play on them because it's, they want to go do it. So I don't look at them and say, you can't play on those things. But when I get them back, especially guys who play in the secondary, it's there. It takes us four weeks to fix their fundamentals because they, you know, they get, they're up playing, you know, 1982 style press, press man coverage it's so that sometimes it's some of the stupidest shit you've ever seen in your life what they tell them and coach them you know keep watching they got you know quarter safeties playing match coverage trying to read the quarterback the whole time and never see a route they're covering just dumb dumb ass bad football is what it is Mm. two more and then we'll let you get out of here jason i think is still in his basement from the tornado warning uh (laughs) so i know that you're not a coach who puts every single interaction on twitter that's not really your style but i also know that you do have a ton of college coaches coming through as a high school football coach in South Georgia. You know, you have a pretty steady line of guys coming through that are trying to find players. Um, do you have any like kind of weird or memorable stories from some of those interactions? Like I, I know a guy who came into his office once after a team meeting and power five defensive coordinator is sitting at his desk with his feet up on the desk and <laughs> that, that became an issue, you know, and I'm not saying like name names, but any, any, yeah. any guys, I, uh, I- I'll tell you a funny story. This is when I was at Walton, we had a chiropractor that would come by and he did all the high schools. He would come by on, on Thursday to Walton and he would crack everybody's back. He'd do everybody's adjustment. He brought a portable table in. He did this. We had some, a coach here, a college coach, and he's a very well-known 
college football coach. He was a defensive coordinator. He came in into the office and he was watching our kids. And this guy comes in with his uh, mobile table and he's adjusting everybody. He's kind of watching us. So we go out to practice. Instead of coming to practice, he's like, I'm, I'm gonna, he's going to work on me for a second. I'll be right out there. And when we come back in, it's our Thursday walkthrough practice. We're in, in about an hour and 15 minutes. We come back in. And when I come in, he's in it. He's on the table and nothing but his underwear. He has been he has been getting worked over and adjusted for an hour and 15 minutes. They've got ceramic blades on him. The poor chiropractor's dripping wet, wet with sweat. It was the funniest damn thing I've ever seen in my life. And I wanted to take a picture and post that, that shit on social media, but I've had some good run-ins with coaches, good and bad. Um, I had an instance. I had years ago when, when, uh, when Alabama had beaten LSU in the national championship game and uh, Oklahoma State, Finished second. This is kind of a funny story. Finished second for for the national championship. Uh, that morning, I had Oklahoma State uh, uh, coach Gundy and Glenn Spencer were coming in to recruit, and uh, they came in at ten o'clock. And at at noon, uh, Nick Saban and Kirby Smart were coming in to recruit. Come meet some of my kids, or you know, come spend some time with me, whatever. And so, you know, I'm trying to be kind of funny, and I look at uh, Coach Gundy at you know at, at eleven o'clock. He's leaving. I said, Coach, if you wait another hour, Coach Saban will be here. You guys can wrestle in the parking lot for the crystal ball. And you know, and Gundy's like, shit, I'll kick his ass, man. You know, he just you know just kind of kidding around. You know. You know, it's kind of funny. We all laughed, head out of there, shook hands. He said goodbye. So Coach Saban comes in with Kirby Smart. He comes sits in my office. And, you know, if you've ever met Nick Saban, he's pretty, you know, he's got blinders on. He's focused on what he's focused on. Don't disrupt him. I'm here for this. Let me get the hell out of here. And so I sit here and I, I look at him. I sit behind the desk. And I'm like, man, if you'd have been here an hour before, you and Coach Gundy could have wrestled in the parking lot for the crystal ball, you know, and he just – He's looking around the room. My my like my joke dropped like a ten ton turd. It was just like landed on the desk, and we all had to stare at it for ten minutes. It was the most awkward moment of my life here yeah. with, with Nick Saban, who had no idea what I was talking about. I was making jokes about wrestling in the parking lot. He yeah, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who is ordinarily like in a real humorous mood. Like he's a little more business like, and I'm sure. You know, because a lot of times coaches, they might not necessarily be looking at any of your players, but a lot of them just do come through as a matter of routine yeah. right? to just kind of keep yeah. in touch so that when that mm -hmm. day comes where you've got uh, a peacock or a prince or someone yeah. who, who can play at that level, mm -hmm. that they kind of feel like they got their foot in the door. So, yeah, they come in bullshit for 30 minutes. Let me tell you about Nick Saban that day is though this is 100 percent right. We were talking about it. Did not get my joke. Didn't think it was funny. Looked at me like I had a, a you know, a dick. A third eye, my yeah. Forehead. And then, but we kind of over the course of talking, his offensive coordinator left. And I was asking him about who he was going to hire as an offensive coordinator. And he started talking about his options at offensive coordinator and, and what he was looking for. And, you know, having a big push to go to tempo. And he wasn't sure if he wanted to go to tempo just for tempo's sake and having a purpose with it. And, and we ended up having like a 45 minute philosophical conversation. It may have been 30 minutes, a philosophical conver conversation about, coaching football, building a staff, you know, marrying your, your, your philosophies and your personalities as an offensive coach and defensive coach. It was really interesting. I, and honestly, I took a lot away from the conversation we had after my terrible joke. <laughs> yeah, he see, yeah, well, 
he doesn't seem like he's always willing to hear a good joke, but he also does seem the kind of guy like you could sit down for an hour and get a year's worth of football knowledge once you kind of get him to to open up. Um, yeah. And then just kind of completely off the topic, since you mentioned that, one of the things I noticed, uh, I've seen a couple of Twitter posts about coaching clinics mm-hmm. and guys' mm-hmm. good coaching clinic stories. How how often do you go to those? Like, I don't know much about them. So I go to um, – I'm, I'm actually – tomorrow I'm leaving to go to the Georgia Football Coaches Association Clinic in, uh, in Gainesville, Georgia at uh, Lake Lanier. So I'm going to one tomorrow for two days. I usually – I may go to the University of Florida's in a few weeks just for shit, shits and giggles out there. I usually go to two or three of them. Sometimes I go to the Glacier in Atlanta. I've been to the Glacier in Orlando. I usually go to the one in Atlanta because I know a lot of people there. Um, it's part of the business. Some to learn some ball and listen to people talk, um, but also just to see people in network and, and see my old buddies. I'm getting, I'm kind of getting to become an old head in this business and seeing those older guys is a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, it seems like a lot of enough kind of oddball stuff sort of happens where you, you have something to la- look back on in a couple months and laugh. Oh yes. All the time. <laughs> yeah. There, there's always something that goes on. I was, I was at a coaching clinic one night. This, I was, we were at a coaching clinic and the, uh, and oh, well, I won't say any names on this one, but so we're taking a shuttle. There was a shuttle from the hotel that was taking all the coaches to this uh, bar that was down the road. And so the guy who was driving the shuttle said he had to go inside and pee. And there's about 20 coaches sitting on the shuttle ready to waiting for him to come back. And another well-known football coach goes and jumps on the shuttle and, and drives the, drives the shuttle over to the, to the bar and, and leaves it at the bar. So there are, there are some hijinks that go on amongst yeah. those things. Um, it is, you know, it is what it is. Shuttle bus to the bar. What what could yeah. possibly go wrong? Yeah. I guess the last thing I wanted to talk about with you real quick, since we do have you on and you are right up the road for me is how, you know, what is Glenn Academy going to look like in 2023? Because I know you got a couple of really good players that we've kind of touched on, but what uh, what's your guys' outlook? Because you start spring practice here probably a month and a half or so, right? Yeah, well, we start one in May, uh, May 3rd. You know, we've had – this senior class we just graduated was only 11 kids. And and we had four kids that came out for football. It was their first year this year. So, literally, in January, we had seven kids in that class. And that's really tough uh, for, for over a two-year period. It was really hard, honestly, because the class in front of them was not a big class of kids. Um, so, we've kind of – last year, we went six and five. The year before that, I think we were five and six or something like that. It's been a hard two years, and we've kind of had to fight through that. But, man, our kids fought really hard this year. We've got about 15 kids coming back as starters next year. And, uh, you know, some talented kids obviously have to have – we have to find a quarterback. Um, but I really like our kids. We hired a, a guy working in the strength – in the uh, in the weight room, a new strength coach. And, man, he is – he has done wonders with our kids. Our, our our kids have put on a lot of weight, a lot of muscle. They're they're. I just I just think I feel like we're going to have a really good football team. You know what does that mean? State championship, region championship, eight wins. I don't know, but I feel like we're going to have a, a you know a hard nosed football team that's going to show up on Friday night and be really competitive. So one thing it's kind of on my my football fan bucket list living where I live uh, is catching a city championship Mm -hmm. uh, one of these years. So, you know, my, my stepson just graduated this past year. So my Friday nights for the last four years have been taken up down here. And so I'm, I'm thinking maybe next year is the year I try to make it up to that. What is there like a a typical time of year you guys always play or just whenever the region tells you? 
whenever the region, yeah, whenever the region it falls out in the region. But man, it it is one of Georgia's best Friday nights. I can promise you, there the place there there won't be a damn seat left in the house. It'll be twelve thousand plus people there. Uh, people have a lot of money on the line down at the ILA. They'll be betting heavily on that game, uh, and it's it's bragging rights for the next twelve months. I mean, it is it's a big game. It's a good time. I love coaching in it. When you walk out there, the atmosphere is electric, and and you know you just don't get to coach in a lot of games like that. Um, so I get excited every time I get the chance. Yeah. So for our listeners who don't live in Georgia and have no clue what I'm talking about, uh, Brunswick High School and Glen Academy are both in Brunswick, Georgia. So you kind of think of any sort of crosstown rivalry that you as a listener are familiar with and then amplify it up by like six. And now we're talking what the city championship uh, probably feels like. So, and, and Brunswick, has, they've been pretty good the last couple of years. Yeah, they've had two so, good, I mean, they, I mean, their last two teams have been really good. They've had, they've had talented, their senior class this year was a really talented group of kids. They were, and, and uh, they've, they've gotten the better of us the last couple of years. And, and so, but we've got a chance to be pretty good next year. Uh, forward thinking, get after it. And uh, thank God those guys are gone. They had a, they had a good, good group of kids. No, they were, they were a handful. They came down here and, and it was, it was like, boy, that's a, that's a yep. rough squad. Um, yeah. So, all right. Well, I think with that, Jason is still in the basement. So, it, I guess if he had any other questions, then that's just tough shit. He'll have to he'll have to email you. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go here. We've taken up enough of your time. I think we got more than we expected. We're just over an hour minus whatever we added down. So, uh, thank you again for taking the time and providing your insight. This is not something we obviously get on a regular basis so it was kind of cool to see your sort of your perspective on this so yep with that being said we will be back next week i can't guarantee what we've got on the schedule i think jason has that we'll probably be talking combine but uh other than that you can find us on twitter at south end zone pod you can find coach at algo at coach rock 73 and everybody stay safe and we will see you next week thank you very much have a great day